got some oscillate. Okay, guys, welcome back to another meeting. Hey, <laughs> welcome back to another meeting of the Order of the Straight Arrow. Uh, you have myself, Troop Scout leader Dustin here, uh, to my right. This is the Troop Historian Denim Smoking Dart. I'm, I quit smoking dart. Can I be quit smoking dart? You no. We'll Cre see. Creative consultant, can we get a ru ruling? Yeah, whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the kind of creative consultant that I want in my crew. And I'm Elder Little Pond, creative consultant. Damn right he is. And sitting to the creative consultant's right and the troop leader's left and directly across from the troop historian, you have myself runs with bins. I am the keeping it real consultant. We got lots of consultants. I really appreciate that. So, welcome back. We're on another episode. Uh, we have, as you've already noticed, a special guest in the clubhouse again tonight. It's getting less and less special each time. <laughs> Ain't that a nice sentiment? But uh, anyways, I just want to welcome you back again, Nathan, Elder Little Pond. Yeah, thanks. Nice to be back. No worries. We uh, we tried to get a hold of Free Beer, a.k.a. the tip of the spear, but uh, uh, Miles, where was he again? He is in Kenosha, Wisconsin at Vanstock. And according to their website, Vanstock ended last weekend, but me, myself and the troop historian took a ride down to the river where he usually parks his van and kind of lives. Um, well, he does live there, and it wasn't there, so he's, as far as we know, he's still a van He doesn't stock. live there anymore. Maybe he moved to Wisconsin. No, yeah, he's, he's down there doing something. So we will give you updates as they roll in, but you never know what could happen with him. So let's get a move on and get this meeting officially started. Uh, historian, do you want to take it away with the straight arrow oath? Yeah, so if you're uh, in scout uniform, I'd like a three-finger salute. If you're in civilian clothing, hands over your hearts. And repeat after me. A straight arrow tells the truth. A straight arrow loves nature. A straight arrow never buries a man without his boots on. And a straight arrow is always against Bill HR 57, which would allow the importation of South American propane. So this episode, King of the Hill, we're still talking about, if you believe it or not. Do you want to take it away, historian, with the uh, title, et cetera, et cetera? I got you. This is kind of a fun one. So not just in the fact that the episode was pretty good itself, I thought, but... It's kind of an interesting story. So it is episode 12 from season one on the DVDs. 
Its title is The Company Man. But its original air date was December 7th, 1997, as the ninth episode of season two. On the commentary, the director of the episode, Clay Hall, he was saying that it was very much a learning episode for the, sh- the series as a whole. I guess when the, when the episode came back in script form, it was very all over the place. Like, they couldn't tie the subplots together. I don't know if you've seen the special features the deleted scenes, there's an alternate ending. Uh, I think some of the other deleted scenes that were just throughout the episodes kind of like alluded to other subplots that may have just got cut altogether, including like Dale and Luann. Which would have been pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't recall seeing Luann at all this episode. I think, yeah, the Frito pie. But um, anyways, when we get to the end of this episode, I do want to find out what that alternate ending is. Don't tell me now. Yeah, we'll come back to we'll come back to that. But he said that they use this sort of as like a a saying throughout the offices of King of the Hill. Like, remember the company, man, like when it kind of as a way to say, like, tone it down. Don't make it so complicated. Like, we still got to tell the story in 22 minutes and these arcs need to end. Yeah, it's a good. That's a good point. It did feel like it was a uh, lot of lot of story kind of based humor. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it was all story jokes. I think it's kind of a shame the way that the episode was being worked on during season one. So all like the lines and stuff were, or most of the lines were recorded. It sounded like, especially Burt Reynolds' lines. So I think maybe the fact that they couldn't add more lines for Fatherton. Uh, Fatherton. The fact that they couldn't add more lines for him maybe was related to the fact that Burt Reynolds couldn't come back, so that might have added strain on trying to rewrite the episode so they could only use the lines they... Yeah, you basically have to write around Burt Reynolds. Exactly, yeah. Um, But other than that, it was uh, written by Jim Dotrieve. He wrote... Sorry, he's written 15 episodes for King of the Hill, Um, but this was his, like, first one... But it wasn't his first one to air because of the mess up with the whole. And so has he had, he's had more than two? How many? Oh, he wrote 15 episodes. Oh, sorry. For King of the Hill. Um, and he also was the show's executive producer and the namesake for Bill, obviously. Um, directed by Clay Hall, who's, he already directed The Order of the Straight Arrow earlier this season. He's well known for his work uh, before King of the Hill on The Simpsons from 92 to 96 and King of the Hill for 97 to 2003, so almost the whole thing. That's pretty cool. What, what an honor, right? Like, I bet he wishes his last name was Boomhauer. <laughs> like, his yeah. namesake is the stupidest <laughs> worst. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, did you get to see a picture of him? Like, does yeah. any similarities in uh, appearance? He's a big, balding guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope he's not as sad as, as Bill, but... <laughs> I hope not. Uh, he's also... He's actually done very well for himself. He's, he's also the executive producer on Bob's Burgers. Oh, nice. Yeah, he hasn't done a lot, but, like, the stuff he has done is, like, very notable. Um, and, yeah, and as, as we already n- mentioned that Burt Reynolds, he, of course, he guest stars as M.F. Fatherton. Yeah. And the M.F. stands for... Uh, making friends. My friend. That's it. The plot synopsis for this one is Hank is tasked with impressing a big client from Boston while M.F. Fatherton, a former Strickland employee and present competitor, tries to swoop in and steal the deal. Before we do a deep dive into it, uh, I want to keep tradition going and pull over into a little segment we like to call Little Ponds Ponders. (laughs) 
Okay, thank you. Welcome. <laughs> I have a couple trivia questions for everyone. Um, I have two questions for everyone. They're uh, a little bit harder than last time, but they're still fairly easy. I'll start with Miles, and then Dustin, and then Denim. Lay it on me. Okay, according to Hank, what do Boston types look like? I know they're wearing penny loafers. There's three things. Uh, pale. See, he's pale, right? That's two. He's pale, penny loafers, and goddamn, I can't remember the first one. Skinny? What is he? Uh, <laughs> small, pale, and wearing, <laughs> probably wearing penny loafers. Damn, partial credit, all right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what is the name of the waitress at the diner? Joe Tiffany. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that down. <laughs> That's a, such a great name. Okay, Dustin. Oh, man, now. I'm actually a little bit worried okay. for these ones. The last ones are easy. It, and now I'm this is an just, easy one. Okay, please. What does Hank need to close a deal? Ooh, uh, pie, cup of coffee, and ice cream. Oh. If, if there's... Ooh. <laughs> Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, only if there's a hiccup, right? Yeah, originally the three things are pie, coffee, and a handshake. And the, oh. the ice cream a la carte is yeah. only... A la, a la mode, sorry. A la carte is without cream. No, a la carte is just by itself. Mm. So if you... Yeah, got ya. If you order a hamburger a la carte, like, you just mm -hmm. get the hamburger, no fries. Got ya. Um. Fun fact for those. <laughs> this one's... Tricky. Oh no, no. Where was Peggy's purple pantsuit from? Oh, Frumpies. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's not hard. I loved that one. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty worried about these. Favorite. I uh, I watched the episode a bunch of times, but some of these are gonna get me. Okay, Denim. Instead of cowboy boots, what does the shoe salesman suggest for Hank? Birkenstocks for our wide-foot individual. That's correct. Uh, okay, what were Buck's first two words in the series? Oh, I'm just, uh, first two words in the whole series. Fucking melon scratchers go, that's a honey doodle. <laughs> I know he runs into the office. Um, does he say, hey, Hank? Uh, it's very close. It's Howdy Hank. Oh. I should have known he would say something Texan like that. I wish he said Old Top, but... Is that the... That concludes Pause Ponders? For yes, episode? that is. Oh. Yes, that's that's it. That's good. I like yeah, it. Yeah, thank you for that. Very, uh, I, I love Pawns Ponders. Made me, made, me, made me ponder a little bit there. Yeah, absolutely. I good. can't believe that I got mine wrong. I'm... Very disappointed in myself. I think we're all partial <laughs> and one. Well, that's the good thing about Little Pond's Ponders, because he keeps us honest about doing our research <laughs> and watching the episode. So getting on with the episode, this one doesn't have a cold open. You know it's going to be dense when that happens. So we open up on Strickland Propane. Bobby's at work with Hank. He's writing a speech to give at Sunday school about his father. What is it actually about? The man he admires most. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, then we get, I guess, Buck barges in with a howdy Hank. And, uh, yeah, this is his first appearance in a speaking role. Um, 
I believe we'll pass this over to Nate where he's got some info on this. Yeah, I think he's our Strickland expert. Okay, so this is <laughs> the first appearance of Buck Strickland. He's Hank's boss, and he owns Strickland Propane. There's several locations, but you'll f see that later. Um, his look and mannerisms are based off uh, former president Lyndon Bain Johnson. And it, just to get you guys an idea of what Lyndon's like, uh, here's a little clip of him. Uh, I think he's ordering pants, like, in the 60s. It's pretty funny. Now, another thing that crotch down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. So when you make them up, give me an inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. It's just like riding a, a wire fence. These are almost these are the best that I've had anywhere in the United States. But uh, uh, when I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So leave me, uh, you never do have much margin there. Let's see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper in, uh, in uh, around uh, under my, back to my bunghole. Uh, so I can let it out there if I need to. Uh, where would you like to please? White House. <laughs> well, that's that's all we could play of that. Yeah. But White House, <laughs> LBJ definitely yeah, is the realest motherfucker. And Buck, there. Buck does like look quite a lot like him too. Um, uh, so yeah, Buck is like sleazy. He's a bit of a like a southern dandy. Uh, he's pretty much like the opposite of Hank, like as far as personality goes. But um, Hank really looks up to him and like always like looks over his shortcomings. And also, uh, later in the series, he does some pretty terrible things to Hank, and Hank always forgives him, and it can be a cause of tension, but that's more uh, more about later on. Buck Strickland's like that drunk uncle that you have that actually isn't your uncle. He's just like that guy that your mom gets pissed off when your dad hangs out with. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, think, I think even in this episode, it's a cause for tension in the Hill residence. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, like, because... Peggy's forced to, like, or uh, Hank's forced to, like, change his personality, and that annoys Peggy. Peggy has to wear that that uh, suit she wore to one of Luann's mama's weddings or whatever. Yeah, no, you can definitely, uh, yeah, you can see Peggy's frustration with Hank in this episode. But uh, we'll get into that in a minute here. So Buck just leaves Bobby with the keys to the, the March of Dimes gumball machine. Well, he goes to, uh, what's, what is he called? Taking a shit? Uh, I, yeah, 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 I got a grunt. <laughs> I was say, that's just a, like a quick, uh, preview of Buck Strickland's character that he's letting Hank's son raid the charity gumball machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the March dives. All you can eat. But yeah, then he goes and he's, he's having a meeting in the bathroom. And I think that's funny because, like, what I call, like, going to grunt is having a meeting. Like, oh, I got a meeting in five minutes. Like, that's what I say at work when I got to go make. So I think it's funny that he actually has meetings in the bathroom. Wait, you call a meeting uh, shit? Yeah. So, like, oh, I got a meeting in five minutes. Like, I got to go for a meeting. I, I, I got my 1030. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Horse. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So I think it's funny that he's kept keeping this tradition on. I guess since like way back in the day. Like, this well, at is, least eight years. This is the meeting place. Like, <laughs> anyways, that's where we get introduced to Fatherton. Well, yeah, he goes. Yeah, so he so Buck explains to him the new client coming and that his main competition is Fatherton, and yet we're remembering the scene of eight years previous in the same bathroom <laughs> stall having a similar meeting with Fatherton as well. 
Can we just get a round table of Thatherton uh, real quick? Uh, Thatherton. <laughs> he really is the like the the Newman to Hank's Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I can see why he hates him. Like, this guy is just downright a bad person. You want to meet the quota? Take some propane to an old age home. Tell him it's oxygen. <laughs> Burt Reynolds, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I honestly. I didn't, like, look at the credits the first time I watched this. It wasn't until, like, I actually watched the episode and then did some research that I actually realized it was Burt Reynolds. Like, like I honestly, because I didn't look at the credits, like, when they came up on the screen. Like, I wasn't paying attention to who it was, so I didn't know it was Burt Reynolds. But when I heard the voice, I was like, that's either somebody doing a really good Burt Reynolds impression yeah. or Burt doing, like, an off kind of, like, gruff, gruff kind of voice. But it, I, I, I love Burt Reynolds. Oh, he's my rad. God. He's so cool. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, I I wonder if maybe some of, more of his better lines from the, the recorder for this episode kind of ended up on the cutting room floor, just the way yeah, this episode know. went, because I feel like it was underutilized yeah, as a guest. You're right. He he just kind of came in at, like, the worst times for Hank, right? It was, it was funny. And very shortly. Like, every time he was on the screen, I thought it was great, but it could have been more, I thought. It could have been funnier, and there could have been more. I just really like how King of the Hill... Um, at least with what we've seen so far in the first season, is keeping their guest stars really, you know, like, with... It's not just someone that's famous for the sake of being famous. You know, it's, like, people from the South, usually, and stuff like that. I think Burt Reynolds was a good fit to be this diabolical uh, propane yeah, totally. salesman. Yeah, they do that a lot with, like, celebrities. Like, they they make a character for them. They don't just, like... It's, it's not, not just, like... like in family yeah. guy when it's like, oh, we got Tom Brady for an episode. Let's just do an episode about football. Yeah, or even and the Peter Simpsons Tom Brady, you does know? that, like, too. Yeah, so it just kind of feels uh, more natural and more, like, they're focused on the show and not the hype of the celebrity. Yeah, and I think, like, as a... I don't know, but, like, probably, like, as, like, a celebrity, you're probably, like, more excited about, like, actually having a character than really just, like, showing up and being, like, hey, here's, like, however much money. Just, like, say your name and three lines exactly yeah. like you're totally right i do just want to point out the willie nelson episode from earlier this season was exactly the opposite of this it was but it was a fictionalized version of willie nelson and willie nelson does like like he is a character within the show but yeah you're absolutely right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. strickland gives hank his keys to his new whip He's got a triple-digit entertainment expense. Um, what else does he get? A hundred-dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's a triple-digit entertainment. I mean, it's not nine hundred and ninety-nine dollars. It's one hundred dollars. That's a lot of money for Hank. What the heck is this? <laughs> well, that's one of them new counterfeit-proof Benny Franklin hundred-dollar bills. <laughs> I guess I'll talk about the rental car now, as it's the thing I the talk loan about. Loan car. <laughs> the, the one car, yeah. It's there is some discussion. Online with the gearheads. It's definitely an early 1970s Cadillac, and it is very apparent that it is a, uh, a tribute to Boss Hogg in his, uh, you know, it's a giant white on gold Cadillac with the horns on the hood. Yeah, ZZ Top just always plays when it gets fired, yeah. when, it, when it fires up, like there's no scariest it's ZZ Top. Just ZZ Top. It's, yeah. at, it's the three guys standing in the truck. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of Cadillacs in this show, especially in the first season. I feel like every episode almost I'm talking about Cadillacs, but so this one's either a... If you got money in Texas, you're buying a Caddy. I want one now. Like, I mean, I always did. I always did too. Yeah, I'm going to sell some stuff, maybe get a Caddy. <laughs> so yeah, it's either an early 1970s Cadillac DeVille or Eldorado probably... And Eldorado. 
because of all that junk on the bumper. Exactly. I appreciate the effort put in to look that up. Uh, thank you very much. Going back to the hundred dollar bill, I like how uh, <laughs> how like later on when Peggy looks at it, she calls Ben Franklin the homely genius or something. <laughs> yeah, she did. I like when he pulls the caddy up to the driveway and Bill just oh, comes oh, around. It's long. <laughs> it's like it's so big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then Hank tells well, Hank tells Peggy he doesn't need a three-figure entertainment budget to close a deal, just a slice of pie. And if he hits a snag, pie a la mode. I wonder what a snag was before he met someone like Holloway. Like Fatherton? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But I think Fatherton, what he offers kind of trumps pie. <laughs> and yeah, ice he's cream. taking him to clubs. I mean, when he runs into guys like Khan who cook with mesquite. <laughs> yeah. Nice taste of wood. Yeah. <laughs> I like it though. He does actually. We do get a little bit of Khan in this episode when he goes out to the out to the driveway and Dale's honking the novelty horn on the caddy. Would you stop that? That horn is for highway emergency use only. And you two get off. I've got to return this pimp mobile in the same condition. It's pimp mobile. He's so concerned about Boomhauer and Bill sitting on the hood while Dale's in the driver's seat smoking. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And we actually see cigarettes smoke. Um, and Clay Hall in the commentary actually commented he said, this is one of those episodes from, like, when we still tried to get away with that. Or, sorry, when he says that, like, one of the first ones that we did it in. So he made it sound like they kind of tried to ignore that rule as much as possible, like, consciously. Uh, and maybe it was just written up originally as kind of, a like, a to please the studio, sort of, or the ratings or something, like... Oh, so they didn't even, like, they didn't even like this uh, do's and don'ts list? Well, maybe not all of it, but that one in particular, they wanted the smoke coming out of his... They wanted to animate the smoke coming out, it sounded like, he Got said. Yeah. When he saw it, he was like... He mentioned it, like, oh, nice, we did that. And, like, he's like, this is when we tried to do that. So nice. I don't know if, I guess we'll find out after watching more episodes, if they tone it down or just forget about the rule altogether. Fair enough. Just so everybody knows, it's Rule 29. I was just going to quickly say, while we're somewhat on the on the relevance of it, I, like, I, wasn't, I was unaware of all, like, the, the technical problems that the, the crew had putting this episode together. And my uh, assumption of why an episode from so far into Season 2 um, or sorry, one that aired so far to season two was put into the first season production codes is that my thinking was that maybe it was just like the only episode that they thought it worked in the first season to introduce Buck Strickland. Because I don't think they, there's no way that they would have went the whole first season without introducing him at some point, right? And I couldn't think of another episode that it fit. Well, I mean, we do get other episodes where he goes to Strickland Propane. Um, so I could have seen any time, but yeah, you do kind of want it to be, but even then he didn't really have much of a role outside of being the boss. Like he wasn't constantly talking back to him and like that. He yeah, was there just kind of no, to facilitate the story in this episode. There was no follow up after the yeah. meeting like with Buck. Again. Yeah. So we don't even know if we Hank, don't even know. Yeah. If, if Hank was in trouble for the end of the episode or what? Yeah. Not a lot of resolution there. eh? Yeah, like, are we meant to believe he didn't get the contract at the end, or does it matter? We'll have to Let's talk about that at the end. At yeah, the end of the episode. things to say. You know those Boston types, probably small, pale, and wearing penny loafers. <laughs> 
So this is Hanky Peggy standing there with a sign that says Holloway, waiting for the Holloways to fly in from Boston. And Mr. Holloway sneaks up on Hank. Put her there, partner. Mr. Holloway? Is a prom dress tight after a six-pack? <laughs> Which way to your Cadillac? This one is in the bag. I really like that, uh, actually. I didn't notice that until right now, that Hank says that about his stereotypes of Bostonians. And then we get Holloway coming in with his stereotype of Texans. Mm -hmm. And just like how maybe some idiot from Texas might go to Boston and wear Penny loafers. <laughs> where's Tom Brady? <laughs> yeah, where's Tom Brady and just maybe makes his skin pale. Yeah, but Holloway actually is small and pale. And he probably does wear penny loafers when he's not on vacation. He's such a fucking dink, too. I was trying to look up, like, that opening line. They say it's a prom dress tight after a six-pack. Like, I get it. But I was like, oh, is that something that, like, people say? And they're like, no. That's, he's yeah. the only person that says that. Like, it's not funny. <laughs> it's really not. Yeah, like, you're right, Nate. Except Fatherton is also that idiot from Texas that Holloway is looking for. Yeah, that's, that's true. Well, stereotypes exist for a reason. Like Nathan's French. Yeah, and I think that's the. <laughs> I think that's the theme of the episode is like stereotypes and like playing up to them, like in order to please like other people, and like uh, seven years ago, like I went to Europe and like you know you stay in all these like hostels and whatnot. You end up talking to like a lot of people from like all around the world, and like uh, you know we're from Canada, like the w southwest coast. Like, it really doesn't get that cold here. Mm -mm. And, like, we've never seen, like, we don't have, like, ice rinks in our backyard because it's simply not cold enough. Yeah. But, uh... Well, maybe <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> you go back to, like, uh... But when you're traveling and then you, like, talk to people... Oh, yeah, you... They're, like, they're like oh, like, it must be, like, really cold over there. And then, like, the first couple times somebody said that to me, I'd be like... Well, like, actually, it's not that cold. Like, our winters are, like, comparable to, like, London. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it it's, gets chilly and it rains a lot in the winter, but it snows, like, two days a year. But then, like, after a while, I realized, like, that's not what people want to hear. No. What people want to hear is that, like, yeah, it's fucking cold. I can't. And then, like, yeah, after the third, after the third or fourth person to, like, comment on the climate in Canada, I was just, like, I just like gave up and was like, yeah, it's it's outrageous. It gets so cold. Like, <laughs> yeah, I rode a fucking polar bear to school yesterday. Exactly. Like, yeah, we live in igloos, like, right? Like, you want to please whoever you're talking to, and like especially in a situation like traveling too, where like you're just trying to make a quick friend. Like, yeah, like it's not like a meaningful relationship. Mm -mm. So you're just like, yeah, it, it's it's really yeah. cold. Like, it, you wouldn't believe it. Definitely, because as soon as you're just like, actually, it's not that. The guy's like, I'm the bummer. You're like, oh, what's this? Nerd he doesn't want to listen to you anymore. No, yeah. Actually, I live in a temperate rainforest, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> we got the Pineapple Express. It's pretty mild. <laughs> but yeah, I was just wondering, like, have you guys like experienced that kind of thing? Oh my or, god, like, I'm a salesman, Nate. Yeah. yeah. I do remember one time I was at the old city and there was like a group of American lacrosse players, like like four guys that were all just 19. So they had just come up from Oregon because they could drink in Canada at 19 and we me and our friend Mike was like we we're like 20 or something and we took the kids to a liquor store and then went to a we went to a junior hockey game like I was just like yeah like Canada's all about beer and hockey like let's go do that and we did that and we had a blast like 
And that goes back to what Nathan just said. Like you gave them what they wanted. Yeah. Like they yeah. wanted. We had a great time. Beer I mean, they could sure, buy. Yeah. yeah. And and fair enough. I mean, hockey games are all the time in Canada in the proper season. So, yeah. And beer is available. So. Yes, definitely. And it is pretty good. <laughs> we Matanya. I'll tell you what. I like that. I'm going to say it while I'm here. It is a funny little thing to pick up on. I love that aspect of King of the Hill, like the like the mannerisms and the quotes, and like even like when we talked about a few episodes ago, like I got to see a man about a horse. Like I heard that before, but I didn't really know what it meant, and now I do. Um, briefly, Mrs. Holloway is voiced by Stalker Channing. Um, She's best known to us as Betty Rizzo from Greece. And anyone who's actually a fan of Stalker Channing is probably getting, would be mad because she won like a bunch of Oscars and Tony Awards and all that sort of stuff. But I know her from Greece. <laughs> and I guess since you talked about Mrs. Holloway, I'll talk about Mr. Holloway. Uh, he's voiced by Billy West, who is most known for his work in Futurama as Philip J. Fry. Also Stimpy in Ren and Stimpy. Um, and in like the newer Looney Tunes, like in uh, Space Jam and like Looney Tunes Back in Action, uh, he was Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. So he's got more, lots of credits. He does kind of sound like Elmer Fudd. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah he's no, got, totally. I can he's hear got Elmer Fudd range. in him. Yeah. No, but in in Holloway, I can hear a little. Yeah, can we just get a little bit of that? Dang, these are Texas-sized hot dogs. Yeah, now that you mention that, actually. So Hank takes Bobby and Holloway to the. Uh, Diner where they're gonna go get some pie and coffee and hopefully seal this deal with a handshake. Hey, look, there's a real old Texas jukebox, just like in the last picture show. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that movie. I personally haven't, but I looked it up and it's got a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. What year did it come out? I believe it came out in the seventies, I think early seventies, seventy-one, but it's like based in fifty-nine. Yeah, so it's about like Texas town. It's a. It follows a group of high school kids and just their socially, uh, culturally, and economically like downfalling town, and just how they deal with it. it. Kurt Russell's not in it. No, it's Jeff Bridges, and he's a supporting role. So, if you're a big fan of him, you probably won't get that much of him. Can we just talk about a movie that Kurt Russell is in. Back at the uh, diner. Yes. <laughs> um, I love how uh, Hank's going through his 14 reasons oh. to, uh, <laughs> to buy propane from Strickland speech. Yeah. And then later on when, like, Thatherton comes over, like, he's, like, um, he, like, talks for a bit. And then he's, like, well, I'll let you get back to your 14 reasons speech. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which, like, suggests that, like, he's been like doing the same speech since oh, like yeah. Thatherton was there and like you know he's been like perfecting it and like I'm I'm sure it's like a uh, company wide one that like they've been given a kind of like a no, basic script I, I or you think Hank, it's a Hank Hill? I think Hank came up with that himself. I mean Hank did come up with it I bet but I bet you Hank also wrote the brochure that it's listed in. <laughs> yeah no doubt. I like it though Holloway is so bored with this speech and he sees that jukebox and he gets all upset. What kind of Texas jukebox is that for crying out loud? It doesn't even have the theme from Dallas. And I think this is like the point where uh, Holloway's like first kind of impressions of Texas start to go wrong, right? Because it seems... South. Oh, my God. Because he gets off the plane and he's really excited. He's like, oh, this is all super Texan. These are big towels. Like, and then this, like, right when Fatherton kind of gets introduced, like, just before that is when he starts to have, like, 
a bad time with Hank and a good time with Fatherton, right? Like, and while he, while he's coming to terms with that, he is making up a little tune. Can we first maybe hear the uh, the Dallas theme? I, w- I was just going to say quickly before we play the Dallas theme. It's funny that Hank's rebuttal to Holloway's disappointment in like Texas not being what he thought it is is that it's not like Texas has changed in the last few years. It's Texas has changed a lot since the 1850s. Yeah. <laughs> I can, like, actually kind of relate to that because, like, I remember, like, when I, going back when I was 19, like, going to Europe and, like, going to London. And, like, you know, like, obviously it's a modern place, like, everywhere else. But, like, part of the back of your head still, like, thinks and wishes it was the 19th century. Where's all the horses? <laughs> like, part of you thinks it wasn't all destroyed in World War II? <laughs> like, the back of your mind, like, the not logical part of your head, like still expects to see like just a little bit like a taste of yeah it. like some guy with a top hat or something mm-hmm. like <laughs> good day jolly roger exactly he's a really bad guy who lives on a ranch with his mom <laughs> of course, Dallas is the TV show aired on CBS from 1978 to 1991 with 14 seasons, 357 episodes in the original run, starring Larry Hagman as JR and Patrick Duffy. The show was a primetime soap opera, that intro that we that we just enjoyed. Uh Music by Gerald Immel and apparently lyrics by (laughs) Mr. Holloway. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was an insanely popular show. There was four TV movies and a spinoff show called Knott's Landing, as well as a revival series that aired for three seasons from 2012 to 2014. And yeah, it it was a big deal in its day. I mean, everybody knows about who shot J.R., or maybe who shot Mr. Burns, which might be a little bit more relevant to our audience. Anything I know about pop culture prior to 1991 is through The Simpsons. So, <laughs> that's fair enough. But that encompasses everything. Yeah, yes, it yeah, does. It's a pretty good uh, encyclopedia to have, honestly. Uh, just yeah, there are no, actually no lyrics in the theme song. <laughs> yeah, in case you were wondering. And then yeah, so I guess this is about the time when Fatherton swoops in and tries to. Impress this client. Fatherton does swoop in, and he tries to kind of weasel his way in, and he introduces himself as M.F. Fatherton, and it's for uh, my friend. And there's this uh, one part that I'd noticed, because we've talked about the do's and don'ts a bunch of times, but the one that has always kind of been sticking around with us, it seems, is the Bobby's deadpan acting. Who's this, Hank? You're a district sales manager? I'm his son, Bobby. I'm waiting for my pie. I can see you get your sense of humor from your daddy. He gets a sense of humor from both his parents. Thank you very much. (laughs) And that's a good dig by Thatherton, right? Like, that's a good burn on Strickland and a good burn on Hank at the same time, right? It adds a little bit more to the depth of Thatherton that he's not just this crazy, pompous Texan. Oh, he's a golden-tongued, golden throat. Yeah, Yeah. honestly, like, I felt like Thatherton is definitely, like, he's a real threat, right? Like, he knows what he's doing, and he seems like a smart guy, like... 
Well, you can't be the only guy who's been uh, censored by the propane board. Oh, it was for behavior unbecoming of a propane salesman by the <laughs> Texas State Propane Commission. That's what it is. And you can't be that without being a silver-tongued well, devil. We, we all know Thatherton's fucking propane mix is only 89% pure. Yeah. Like, he's a shyster. He's selling old ladies his oxygen. Yeah, he is a fucking shyster. So once Fatherton kind of gets introduced and then uh, Mr. Holloway takes a real liking to him and like says, like, I like that guy. Hank uh, runs into uh, a hiccup. Uh, Joe Tiffany, you better make that pie a la mode. Yeah, Hank really senses a snag and uh, takes Holloway out to the desert. Show him the propane crossroads. Well, I'm really surprised that like the character of Hank that we know so far that he didn't. Um, say anything at this particular moment because Holloway goes, hey, Bobby, you could tell your Sunday school class you met a real Texan today, M.F. Thatherton. Like, it must have taken all of Hank's might to not speak up then. It, yeah, you know I what I mean? Hank's trying really hard to, like, make this sale. I think it's, like, a huge sale, so... Yeah, and that's... Like, I think that's he's why swallowing he, his pride throughout he is, the and whole it's, episode. It sucked. You know, that Peggy's right. He is letting himself oh, be walked on. He's walking all over him, yeah. Yeah, it is definitely a huge uh, sale because at the the propane like crossroads or whatever we called it, um, that's where like the Holloway is like his building's getting built, right? Similar to, or close close to that, yeah. Or yeah, exactly in that area. But uh, in this scene when they're in the desert and like Mr. Holloway can just he does not want to talk about propane. There's this one line that I actually just like. It was probably the one I laughed at the hardest. And it was just really quick, but I'll play it for you. Where are the oil wells? Where are the Ratlers? They are. I want to buy a six-shooter. And and then his follow-up. I told you nicely to buy me a gun. <laughs> <laughs> like, I loved that second line is when I just howled. So that is when they're on the car drive to the Holloway Hollows, right? Holloway Hollows. And, <laughs> Holloway Hollows offers country club living at price club prices. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. Look at all this nothing. What's the suicide rate out here? Uh, do you mean right here? Because this is where Holloway Hollows is going up. So I have the suicide rate oh, no. in Texas. Uh, do we want to get te- dark Is this, is this rural we... Texas or it's just It's just the whole state. Do we want to... Can, can we also <laughs> get like a up. reference uh, number for like what a... It's been steadily going up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's... um. So this is in 2017, and it is at 12.9 per 100,000 population. It does appear lower than the rest of the United States, though. 13.7 is the suicide rate in America. So 14 people uh, per 100,000 in America. It's interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Very dark. Sorry if we went off on that tangent there. Well, you thank your lucky stars you don't live in Paraguay. <laughs> <laughs> so we pull up to the job site, and Hank uh, has this line. Something's wrong. Yeah, it's the darn unions. Come on, boys, finish up them little Debbies and get back to work. <laughs> have you ever had a little Debbie? Yeah, actually, I have. I bought some Are they- in Seattle, and they are quite 
they're quite good. Yeah, they're the little chocolate squares. No, they're like apple pie. Oh, I gave Miles one. Well, you still got them. Okay, I guess I it just them. trumps my question. I was going to ask you, because when we lived together, you always bought them fucking Joe Louis fucking things. I was wondering if those were going to be the same, but I guess those are chocolate. No, do you remember when you came over? Like, yeah. I think it was Corn's, Corn's birthday. birthday. Tip of the spear. Um, I got some little Debbies from uh, Washington State. Oh, okay. And uh, at the Walmart. And they're like little, kind of like little tiny apple pies. They taste like kind of like a McDonald's pie, but uh, they're a lot smaller. Nathan recommended and, uh, heating them up, and that, and was, a, that was a good idea. Was good, yeah. And I will say also like his comment about like unions. I work <laughs> for a union, and keep it, it, there is a lot of sitting around. <laughs> but that is true. You, but like, you imagine being like like a union. I don't even know if these guys are union or not, but like construction workers on their break and some salesman rolls up and boss hogs caddy and oh, tells him to get back to work. Like, that would make me so mad. Who does Hank think he is? I like uh, that we also, I just want to note that that by this point, Holloway has already insisted on calling Hank JR. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Right after he says that JR is a bad guy, he's like, I'm going to call you JR. It's just like, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Checking back in with Mrs. Holloway and Peggy, uh, they've finished their Frito Pie, and now they're going for a drive. And uh, Frito Pie, I don't know if you guys know, is a staple in Texas. It's with a capital F. There's very, very many uh, variations of Frito Pie. It's basically like chili, refried beans, and of course, Frito chips. And like, there's no proper recipe, I don't think. Like, you can add, like, jalapenos, sour cream, salsa, shredded cheese, like, anything you want. Like, just typical, like, Tex-Mex, Southern staples, all mixed into a casserole. It sounds pretty great. I know in some states, at, like, carnivals and, like, fairs and just, like, whatever, street vendors, things like that, they do the taco in a bag. And it's just, like, a, a personal size like, Frito bag that you would buy, and then they, like, take out the Fritos, jam all those ingredients back into it, and then you get to walk around with this, like, plastic bag full of... I kind of want some. It sounds pretty damn good. So they put the Fritos back in after? Yeah, yeah. That's, they'll, they'll mix it up with all the other ingredients and, and put it in there. And um, Mrs. Holloway is such a good guest, and she tries as hard as she can to stomach Peggy's food, as pretty much everyone... Like, so far, I mean, it's only been men... Super News Boat and Mrs. Holloway have been the first ones to, you know, to mention it. And that one woman at the barbecue goes, I can never keep your brown Betty down, Peggy, but this is delicious. So I guess the hills are just used to Peggy's, like, backwards-ass cooking. But Mrs. Holloway gets very <laughs> ill off of the Frito pie. And I, she goes, oh, yeah, mm, mm, okay, yeah, that's yummy. <laughs> like, she's so... I like, oh, Peggy said it must have been something she had on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> If Ben Franklin is the homely genius, then Peggy's is the homely dumbass. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, they uh, they go for a drive, I guess. Uh, I can't remember where to. I assume it's within Arlen. Uh, yeah. Oh, I think Peggy's just giving her a tour, yeah. And then they stop by a pink house, and uh, I think, what was it, like 50 years ago that Ogden Nash wrote his poem? The cow is of the bovine ilk. One end is moo, the other milk. Which is a nice little ditty. It is, it is. Uh, I... This this actually makes me think that, like, I don't know if, well, it doesn't necessarily need to be Dotrieve that wrote this joke, mm. but it does make me think that there are some Harvard students in that writer's room. It's a good poem about, like, making a blanket statement about a thing like a cow. It says, like, a the cow is of the bovine ilk, so it's from the, the, the cow, family. cow family in it. One end is moo, the other is milk, which, you know, 
that's a cute, fun way to remember what a cow is when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. But not all cows produce milk. I mean, it's only females. But, like, again, it's just sort of, uh, I think it goes to back to this episode of just stereotypes. Fair Kinda enough. Like, I think it's a fun... It's in this family. It does these things. It's Yeah, it's it's a redneck. It does what rednecks do. Got you. It's a cow. It does what cows do. That makes sense, because I was trying to research any relevance that Ogden Nash may have to King of the Hill. Was completely, there was nothing. And I couldn't even find any relevance to him ever even being in Texas, let alone yeah, living in Texas. I couldn't find that it either. Said that it didn't he, say he lived there. Yeah, that's true. It, um, it said that he used to it used to he used to tour throughout the states to colleges and universities, do presentations and things like that. But basically, for those of you who don't know who Ogden Nash is, he's an American poet, uh, born August nineteenth, nineteen o two. He died May nineteenth, nineteen seventy one, and he was basically the king of light verse poetry, like humorous poetry. Lots of baseball stuff I saw. Yeah, he was a big sports fan. He was born in New York, but lived in Baltimore. Baltimore was his hometown. He was a huge I fan. Lots of poets at that time. I would, I yeah, think, he was actually. a big fan of the Baltimore, Baltimore Colts, and I was unaware that the Indianapolis Colts They're were originally the, from Baltimore. And yeah, then they and moved. the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, are now the Ravens. Mm -hmm. And the one, so. Uh, Mr. Nash died. Also, quick fun fact: he is a direct descendants of the people who Nashville are named after. That's where his last name comes from. His oh, wow. like like Civil War, you know, so generals. Is, he, is he the kind of poet that would have like, um, like bathroom books, like the, you know those like little books you see maybe in like, an old people's bathrooms. An equivalent to that in the 1950s, maybe, but I, it probably I had think, more weight yes, to it. Yes, I think in the way that like. You know how I have that like little wooden sign, but when you leave my house, you can if you don't notice it, look on the way out. It says, "How can I fly with the eagles when I work with turkeys?" <laughs> and it's like a little like fun little verses that like old people carve into wooden planks that they hang up in their trailers in their bathrooms. Yeah. Yes, I think that's, that's what he would be. Those little anecdotes where you look and go, "Hmm, yeah." Like that, you yeah. Know, guys, that I remember like going to like old people's house when I was younger, and like in their bathroom, you'd see like a book that was like mm -hmm. jokes. About about golf or something. Yeah, it's it's, it it's like, similar to that, but don't get me wrong, he was like very highly respected. Like you're close to, like a poet laureate, that's that sort of style. But his his death is just is kind of fascinated me. He, I didn't look that up. What happened? Okay, so he died May 19, 1971, of complications from Crohn's disease, aggravated aggravated by lactobacillus infection, transmitted by improperly prepared coleslaw. Death by coleslaw. That's how this guy died. What? This guy died by poorly. Like, first I of all, wonder what his like light verse poem would be about oh, that. I, I don't know. Like bad enough, he has to have like the world's worst side dish. <laughs> I, feel, I quite like coleslaw. I mean, oh, I know you do. I'm a fan. <laughs> it's it's not bad, but like, what? Like the guy was like so well known and respected and such a smart human being, and he dies <laughs> by improperly prepared coleslaw. Like. So that's to do with the milk in it. So for a man who's famous about a poem about a cow. It's pretty ironic. It is. Well, thank you for that. I've actually learned something. That's pretty cool. You learn something new every day. You really do. Death by coleslaw. It's a thing. <laughs> we go back to Bobby, Mr. Holloway, and Hank at the shoe store now. More specifically, it's a boot store. And uh, what's it called, Nathan? I can't quite remember. The... I don't remember. Okay. Oh, the sandal, you mean? 
Okay, you just fucked that. <laughs> oh, I can't remember. Rhinestein's Cowboy is what it is. A play on the obvious Rhinestone Cowboy. <laughs> I was really hoping someone was going to pick up what I was putting down. I didn't even see it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's Rhinestein's Ry- Ry- yeah, Cowboy. It went, went way past me. I don't know. See, that's what I was going to say earlier is what I was disappointed about the coffee shop. Didn't have a name or a storefront. And usually all their steakhouses and their bars and restaurants have humorous names and very funny storefronts. And this one didn't. I just say that shoe salesman is the most sensitive shoe oh salesman. Oh, my God. God, I know. That's spiteful. Sir, um, I don't really recommend a cowboy boot for a chubby-toed customer like yourself. You might want to try a Birkenstock sandal. Shut the hell up. <laughs> so this is Hank at Rhinestein's Cowboy buying the proper Texas uh, attire uh, suggested by Mr. Holloway, which is a you know 10-gallon cowboy hat, big old cowboy boots. Some spurs and even a lasso gets gets thrown into it there, and that's Hank super frustrated, telling the salesman to go to hell. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like for reasons I don't understand, Boomhauer and Redcorn show up and yeah. see Hank buying all this stuff and call him a rhinestone cowboy. And we, I think, the only reason that Redcorn was in this scene is for this one line. Look, Jay, an engine and a hillbilly. It's uh, what we call the Monopoly Man of jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember in Ace Ventura, I think it's When Nature Calls, the second one. Yeah. And then he comes out, remember, when he like sees the Monopoly Man, and they just dress a guy up like a Monopoly Man so they can make the joke that that guy looks like a Monopoly Man. It's a poorly crafted joke. It's, uh, it's bad taste. It is terrible because there is not one scene in my memory that I can remember where... Uh, Boomhauer and John Redcorn are by themselves somewhere, let alone shopping. The only tie-in I could put to this is that they're the two most swinging ladies' men we know in yeah, Ireland, right? That's maybe. true. But what are they doing at Rhinestein's Cowboy? Like, John Redcorn's an engine. You know, <laughs> maybe they're only looking... wears one outfit. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I'm seeing the light at the end of this tunnel. Maybe this is one of their, like, stops to go and meet some of those tourist ladies looking for a hillbilly and an engine. Maybe. I mean, that's it. Maybe. That's all I can imagine. We that's do it. find that's out later that thing. Boomhauer's, uh, you know, f- uh, hunting grounds is in fact a department store. <laughs> the women's shoe section. There you go. <laughs> Where are you gonna find women? There. Yeah. But yeah, and no, it is. It is. It is monopoly man of jokes. It definitely is. And uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I feel like Boomhauer's lines. Every time that he has one of his uh, babbles. Um, they're always funny, but this one I didn't even like laugh that hard. <laughs> yo, man, yo, man, call Doctor Shows, man, nine one one. Y'all look like and I go hard car ride with that old crap, man, yo. I thought this one was funny just because it just shows how well Boomhauer knows Hank that he knows that he cannot wear cowboy boots. That's why I say call Doctor Shows because he knows Hank's fat feet are gonna be squished in these that cowboy boots. Good. Oh, I never made that connection. I thought he was just like, oh, making fun of cowboy boots because he's wearing cowboy boots. I fuck, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> okay, I take it back. Boomhauer's a genius. It's like if we saw Corn wearing anything besides lugs. <laughs> Uh, and then I guess this scene comes to an end and then there's like a two second scene where Hank's driving back with uh, cowboy boots on and Holloway's got him in a lasso (laughs) as good as the King of the Hill writers are is making realistic animated 
people come to life, they're just as good as making realistic, annoying people. Like everyone knows, like maybe not directly Halloway with his like his quirks and whatever, but we, there's those like those people exist, and we run into them one way or another throughout life. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and it sucks that Hank has to like <laughs> impress this annoying motherfucker. Yeah, and. So I guess we get back where Hank has to take these boots off. <laughs> well, Peggy has to take them off. Yeah. And then Pe- and Peg's wearing her nice new pantsuit from Frumpies. <laughs> Frumpies. And Hank tells her that she can't wear that. She's got to get that nice little unit that uh, she wore to Luann's mama's third wedding. <laughs> Which, uh, it's a beautiful jean, red, white, and blue. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, but with, complete with hat. Complete with hat. Uh, Hank goes out into the kitchen where Hank <laughs> tells Bobby some of the stuff that he has told Holloway might not be true. After Bobby questions how he could have uh, fathered him while he was in a Mexican POW camp. Um, but, yeah, Hank kind of tells him some of the stuff isn't true and he'll help him work through it later. Yeah, but he says, taken out of context. <laughs> yeah, he blames Bobby for his for his his, uh, his makeup stuff. Um, so we find ourselves at the Panhandler Steakhouse, and now uh, this is the first of four appearances in King of the Hill by the Panhandler Steakhouse, and it is most likely based on the Big Texan Steak Ranch, which is a real steakhouse in Texas on Route 66. It's a very popular steakhouse. It's often voted the number one steakhouse in Texas, which is a big deal. Might as well be the biggest steakhouse in North America, right? You know, that's Texas. They also have the 72-ounce steak challenge. Now, their challenge, it consists of a shrimp cocktail, baked potato, a salad, a buttered roll, and, of course, a 72-ounce steak. Now, their price for that is $72 for the 72-ounce steak. The record was set March 24th, 2008. Now, I'm going to ask all three of you right now if you guys have any guesses of what the world record is. Keep in mind, it has to be under an hour. You guys, What do you guys got? For how long it took? To eat it, yeah. To eat the okay. whole thing. My, I'll go first. My guess is it took 14 minutes. 14 minutes. Nathan, what's your guess? Do you have to eat the shrimp and the bread roll as yeah, well? You yeah, you have to eat it all. You, the only oh. thing that you don't have to eat is the fat on the steak, but they judge you on that. You have to, like, I'm cut gonna it say right like along the longer, path. like, 37 minutes. 37 minutes. Uh, Dustin? That's a lot of meat. And that's like a lot of sides they add up. I'm gonna I'm gonna go high, and I'm gonna say 42 minutes. Okay, before I give out the actual time, it's really funny when you go to the 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 Big Texan website because they have every single person since 1960 who's done it, and it's a probably on average this like it's about once every two weeks somebody does it. And that's probably that's a lot. It was a very uh, unfriendly uh, uh, spreadsheet, very outdated website. It was it was very hard to read, so like there was no way I was gonna be able to count. But so I just wait, kinda... how many how many seventy two ounce steaks have they got just frozen in the back? A lot, I guess. So what happens is when you do the contest, you have to pay for it up front, and then if you do complete it, they reimburse you. So you have to pay for it first, no matter like who you are. So they put your name where you're from, your weight, how old you are, and then there's also, like, a, a little <laughs> section where you can just write a comment. And, like, they're so funny. It's most of them just, like, what's for dessert? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that was a good piece of meat. And then other people are just like, oh, my God, that was torture. The first 
person on the website in like the early 1960s to do it. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was just like, he did, he's, I've done it three times, played for the New Orleans Saints. He was like this <laughs> one-off offensive lineman from the Saints in like 62, and he did it three times. Okay, I like so to anyway. imagine his football like card says yeah. 8372 out Saints. It's, it's, yeah, yeah it, it's funny. And like most of the people you expect from the States, from Texas, from the Southern States, but there's a lot of Australians for some reason. I saw a lot of Australians They travel well. Yeah. They and like they, their barbecue too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the Bobbies. So, the winning, the world record time is set by. If you're in the competitive eating world, you know who this man is. And he goes by the name of Joey Chestnut, the hot dog eating champ. He ate the entire thing in 8 minutes and 52 seconds. Oh, wow. Well, I lose, but I'm the closest. God damn. Can you imagine? That's like like a... Like, like just the steak. This How long do you think just the steak took him? Because he's still oh got to shovel the rest of it in there. Yeah, you can't get... Okay, there's only there's only one stipulation of the rules. You're allowed to cut into it and take a bite before the challenge starts and give the thumbs up or the thumbs down whether or not the steak is cooked to your liking. So you're allowed to do that, and as soon as you say it's good, the timer starts, and you have to eat all that stuff. So he could have ate everything else before. <laughs> no. Oh. No, you're just allowed to test the steak to make sure it's to your liking. Oh. And apparently it's an amazing cut of beef. <laughs> You know if there's a video? I'm sure. I'm sure in the deep, dark depths of the internet for sick-ass motherfuckers like you. <laughs> I'm not sure. I didn't see no video. This was also, it was 2008, maybe. I don't know. But, but I mean, at but yeah. So at the Panhandler Steakhouse, mm. Hank, Holloway, and Peggy, uh, Mrs. Holloway being sick from the Frito pie Peggy fed her earlier. Or the plane. Or the plane. The plane. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. Hank, uh, Hank and Holloway are seated while the hostess mistakes Peggy's ridiculous cowgirl getup for being a server and gives her instructions as if she works there. The four top of 39 needs more iced tea, hun. 86, the jalapeno cornbread. I actually laughed when I, cause like, I was howling just because like that's exactly how she would get treated as a server. I do love the 86, the jalapeno cornbread. It's yeah. So <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so anyways, of course, Mr. Holloway decides that he must take the 72-ounce steak challenge, and it's so funny when they go up to the world's largest salad bar with this world's second-largest guard, and he just starts, uh, Mr. Holloway just starts eating stuff, and Hank's like, no, no. Lord, no, Mr. Holloway, you're going to fill up on free stuff. <laughs> I never, like, I didn't realize until then that, like, Hank obviously has to pay for the steak, and he's only got 100 bucks, right? Exactly. Well, they don't say how much it is, but they guess 72 bucks. Yeah, that's yeah. It's like a chunk of his three. F- well, I mean, if you have to ask, you can't afford it, right? And he still orders it. So Hank doesn't know. Hank doesn't know how much it costs. But he still does need to ask for 50 bucks later to go to the strippers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, ones for the uh, G strings. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> while they're at the salad bar, uh, we get Dale, Dale and Nancy. Um, they they come up and say hi to Hank and his uh, business partner from the East. And this episode was kind of lacking on the one-liners, but what Dale said there, I thought was uh, was probably my favorite humorous one-liner. Mr. Holloway came all the way from Boston. Yeah, I know the place. That's in Taxachusetts, ain't it? Say hello to Willie Horton for me when you get home. He's teaching at your kindergarten. 
I'm sorry, Mr. Gribble, but a cowboy don't talk politics at the chow wagon. Happy trails. I haven't got my croutons yet. <laughs> there was also one line just before that where uh, Dale calls Hank Roy Rogers because he's wearing all this like, rhinestone, yeah. rhinestone cowboy outfit. And he also goes on to say, Halloween was last year. And that to me, that joke is just too funny because obviously Halloween is every year. And we also don't know what time of the year this takes place. But Dale, like, cannot, like, this is such a good burn. This is such a good opportunity for him to roast Hank, which he never gets very often. He goes, Halloween was last year. Like, it's a one-off fucking thing. Oh, it's so funny. I did want to know who that was teaching in their schools because... The tip of the spear in here to inform me. In honor of the tip of the spear, I looked it up. I didn't write it down, but I know about it. Willie Horton was a very bad man. A very bad man. He, uh, him and his cronies in the, I think in the 60s, um, maybe the 70s, I can't remember. He's still alive, I know that, so it, it wasn't that long ago. Him and his friends robbed a, a gas station convenience store. It was a 19, or sorry, a young, like, teenage clerk. Gave, did everything he was supposed to. He emptied the cash store, gave them all the money, and then they still, they stabbed him, like, 20 times, stuffed him into a dumpster, and then they they fled. He got caught. Now, the state of Massachusetts, at least at this time, has a furlough program. Furlough is essentially like the best example I can give is in 2009 where the United States were going through a very hard economic times. Massive companies like Toyota and stuff like that so they just bailed out all the prisoners. would furlough their employees. It's not laying them off because they want them back when the economy comes up you know what i mean it's basically a leave of absence is what it is so for some reason in this time the massachusetts state was the only, i think the only state that was doing it in america was giving these furloughs to people like usually it's just right like it's like school teachers like just like firefighters oh i need a month off for like my mom's sick in you know 10 states over that sort of thing for whatever reason they were giving furloughs to to prisoners so they gave one to Willie Horton. They gave him a week in furlough, and he left, and he never came back, and he ended up killing and raping this woman a bunch of times and killed her husband and all this stuff, and then they ended up catching him back again. And that's the joke that Dale's making, that Massachusetts was the like laughing stock of America because they allowed this stupid bill to be passed to let prisoners essentially have a free weekend no matter what they had committed. Like, this Willie Horton had already killed a guy in, like... So wait, they let him out just... To like let make room in the prison or no? It was like a weekend thing. I never found out. I couldn't see what it was, but it was, it's usually stuff like for prisoners. Like my mom's about to die in a hospital. I need like twenty four hours to like say goodbye to her. That sort of thing. Like oh. essentially now it would be. So he knew he was going back to prison in a weekend anyway. Yeah. So now so he it, was just gonna go have Willie's week out. Yeah. All I can sum it up to is now it'd be like one of those like uh, temporary escorted weekend passes which prisoners get. But this wasn't escorted, right? It was just on good faith. And for whatever reason, tax chooses let it happen and he's still incarcerated in this jail and it was a huge talking point in politics in the united states for the ni- 1980s election i think like that oh. whatever president let that happen d- did not get reelected because of basically that pla- that that part of his platform that makes sense well thank you from the tip of the spear no! <laughs> i'm normal <laughs> Uh, Van Sock was last year, buddy. Where's the chow wagon? <laughs> wow, that was good. We're back at the table, and, and his 72-ounce steak gets delivered. Yeah, it really annoys me how he just has one bite. Like, oh, at least I try, know. man. Like, the like, whole I was, crowd, right? Like, like, like before, like, you know, he, Holloway's just kind of, like, tone deaf and, like, kind of 
an idiot, but oh, like yeah. this is like okay, you're actually an asshole. Like, like no at least doubt. try, man. Like, yeah, every, like everybody's cheering when he comes in. He takes one bite. Oh, stick yeah. a fork in me. I'm done. No, no, you're not. It sounds like something that my like my dad would do if he ordered me a dinner and I like like took one bite was like I'm full and he's like no you're not <laughs> like, like if I went to Mrs. Rich's and sat in the boxing ring and ordered the twenty the mountain pound burger. mountain burger and then everybody was like cool and I took one I just took one bite and was just like mm, done yeah. got my picture on the wall that was my that was my holiday it's like literally the most annoying thing you could yeah done. this scene made me not like him yeah no doubt this yeah. is where I definitely turn as like it's not even like I can like laugh like before at this character. I was like, like oh, I don't like him he just wants to have some fun he's in Texas he's innocent and now but he's guilty like now it's like uh, yeah. he's, he's this guy sucks I mean alluding to the alternate ending I kind of think the alternate ending might have been more the way to go um for scenes like this uh i guess we'll get there and we'll talk about it i agree 100 percent. the alternative ending makes mr holloway somewhat more of a likable character and maybe not more of a likable character but more of a like you get an understanding of him i I think you have an understanding of him but i think also at the same time with the alternate ending you kind of like feel like oh hank uh hank did wrong Mm -hmm. as much as he did. But that's that surprised me that this was the turning point for you guys to not like Mr. Holloway because I hated his guts the minute he got showed up into that airplane, right? Like, yeah, but before he wasn't before all he's caught up until now his bill is the fourteen dollars for the pie and the coffee. I guess six dollars probably for pie and coffee. Maybe Alamo would maybe eight dollars. Yeah, Hank's a regular. He probably gets a yeah the discount. The salesman it's discount. The salesman discount. <laughs> um, but it's not that like I I of course he's like a I, it's not like I like him, but like I can laugh at him in a funny way. Like oh look at that he's harmless. Yeah. And now he's done some. Like, well now he's now he's really he's, going. Yeah, over he's the getting edge. under my skin now. Yeah. You know, like it, I'm a pretty tolerant guy, but Mr. Holloway is somebody I don't want to but hang yeah, out so with. Yeah, so he takes he takes the one bite of the seventy two ouncer. And then goes, yeah, he takes one ounce, yeah. and then he goes to have the test your your grip. Oh, yeah, he just dicks off. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then Thatherton swoops in there to test his grip with him and take him to the gentleman's club. Going back to the budget, though, like, he still had to buy, like, the shoes and st- or the cowboy boots and the hat, and that probably cost quite a bit of money. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah, he did cost him the cowboy boot and hats. But, I mean, but those aren't, like, disposable items. Yeah, they're, like, kind of personal items that you would keep, but, like, he clearly doesn't want them. I know, but, uh, you know, you throw them up at a garage sale and get some money back. Yeah, maybe keep receipts. Well, back to the alternate ending. Hank doesn't really have any... uh... I guess, actually, yeah, the alternate (laughs) ending, yeah, kind of destroys them. Yeah, he lights the boots and hat on fire on his propane barbecue. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to get to the alternate ending, so let's get there. We're getting there because uh, Hank sees Fatherton swoop in. And so he bails on the table, so it's just Peggy left by herself. Break time's over, darling. The kitchen's backed up. And yeah, and, and Hank Hank is here in, uh, where Fatherton's going to take him to the... Jug store cowboys. <laughs> where all the dancers are former Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. Oh, uh, that was perfect. Like, does that exist? Does anybody look that up? 
does that exist? God, I should have looked it God, up. God, I wish it Because they've referenced it more than once, I think, in King of the Hill. Like, a certain strip club that's only, you know, ex-Dallas Cowboy Chewies. Well, but... if it exists, somebody let us know. What was her name? Uh, Siobhan. <laughs> she makes six figures a year stripping at the, uh, at the drugstore Cowboys. I believe it, man. Dallas like, Cowboys? Like, cheerleaders? I'm going to skip ahead right to the scene where he's at the bar with Chiffon. Like, we're there right now, yeah? Yeah, we should probably skip ahead because we're going to some time here. I got, I, I got like, a this scene where he's talking to Siobhan, Chiffon, it is, like, a, it calls back to that kind of, like, theme of the episode. Yeah, where totally. It's basically making the contrast of, like, Hank as a salesman is basically selling himself, like, completely like he's selling his body to get this like deal and she's like selling herself like it's the same yeah the theme is like they're just kind of portraying someone or something who they're not exactly to, to like please a customer exactly like hank's basically like prostituting himself to this guy yeah to, or at least like yeah his character his, well yeah yeah, yeah. to like take his money and just like she's so like that scene where he's just like why do we do it uh, yeah, it really, I did like that scene. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. I really liked it, too, because typically, you know, a woman who's a stripper for a living, Hank probably wouldn't agree with on very many things. But what she says, you could tell, instantly resonates with him so much. He just kind of bows his head a little bit and kind of just moans and says, you know, wh- why do we do it? So, like, he was totally, like, relatable to you. Hank was already thinking that, right? And it the, the scene actually pans back when they first start uh, conversating. And you can see them with at the bar, and Hank's, like, goofy super cowboy western get up and her you know you know ludicrous also you know with like the bullet yeah. belts and you know yeah it, it, it was funny and it was a scene that i don't think we get to see too often that hank taking a lot of humility and kind of i don't want to say degrading himself but kinda he's he, he's not looking humbling yeah humbling that's a, that's a good way to put it yeah yeah definitely just the contrast there is too perfect right and uh do you do you I remember what what, what 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 she said? Um, what 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 she's saving up enough money for? <laughs> she she's saving up so she can not work and take care of her granddaughter's daughter. Granddaughter. Down up there. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, I like how at the end she's just like, "How about a lap dance?" It's <laughs> <laughs> like she's try- still trying to do it. Yeah, job. yeah. Like, she still wants to make money. Well, but. yeah, she's losing money by just standing at the bar, right? That's so so funny, and I I like that I I saw her in the background, so Hank obviously refused, and. Oh, them's fighting words, yeah. This isn't a John Wayne movie, Holloway. I'm not gonna fight you. I'll fight you, Pilgrim. So good how just Thatherton will swoop in and steal that bar fight and that client right away from Hank. Oh, yeah, and he totally's playing the John Wayne role, right? Yeah. Like, classic cowboy. Yeah, he's playing the Dean Martin role of the drunk. And then. Um, yeah, so then Hank just leaves. He's done with this. Hank's had enough. He goes to what's really important for him, and he sees Bobby at Sunday school, though apparently he hasn't uh, been there to give him all of the pointers on the, uh, (laughs) on the logistics of his past. 
because ha- Bobby's still under the impression that he was fathered by another man while <laughs> Hank was in a Mexican prisoner B-O-W-T-M, of war camp. Yeah. What What was it that you said, Nathan? What was the word that Hank used for Bobby uh, mishearing? Taken out of context. Yeah. So yeah, that this was all wrapping it up, and there were still some things I guess, but Bobby kept in context. But one thing that I noticed that I thought was super funny is. Arlen, Texas, being this all-encompassing town. Who do we see at the Sunday school reading? We see Buckley with Luann, which he doesn't need to be there. And also, over Hank and Peggy's shoulder, we see Dale and Bill. As far as I know, the Sunday school was meant for the parents to watch the kids do their presentations, but hail. Well, I mean, back to what I'm trying to say here, trying to allude to, maybe start a conversation about Bill. Awkwardly looking at him behind Peggy's shoulder, sheepishly first one to clap for Bobby after he makes his announcement of Hank not being his father. It brings us back to a conversation we had in a previous episode. It, let's get, I mean, this is a fresh opinion we got here in the clubhouse. What do you feel about the lineage of Hank and Bobby and, Bo- and Bill and Cotton? I do f- feel like, well, Hank doesn't, I mean, sorry, Bobby looks not really like Hank and like Bill, like they got the same body type, but like Bobby and Cotton look really similar and yes. Cotton and Hank also look similar. But keep keep in mind when Bill was in high school, he was in tip top shape. Yeah, Maybe I Bobby mean, looks like Bill now. It's a question that's never meant to be answered, so, right. you know, but. So what, what side... Of the speculation, are you leaning towards Nathan? I I speculate that um, Hank is Bobby's dad, but I'm going to agree know. with you on that. Wall boys, it's your opinion. But again? I mean the but I guess let me rephrase the question. The question isn't canonically is it his is Hank his dad because I think the answer is undoubtedly yes. But the question is does the is the writers' room conscious of this question? While they're making the show, I I don't think so. I think there's like only so many body types in the show, and Bobby and Bill happen to be kind of shorter, fat people, and then there's like the Dale and Boomhauer types, and then there's like kind of like the normal sized Hank types. All right. Well, I'm just gonna put in my two cents. Uh, I feel like they are extremely conscious of this question and they play it up because I, I'm, I'm going, they are toying with us because there is two lines. I'm going to play the clips just so you can hear why I think this. How could mom get pregnant with me if you spent the 80s in a Mexican POW camp? That's the first one. And I want to thank my dad, especially for accepting me and raising me as his own, even though I was fathered by another man while Mr. Hank Hill was in a Mexican POW camp. Thank you. Like, maybe it's not the Mexican camp that, like, is why uh, Hank wasn't the father? It's out of context. It is out of context, but... I think the line saying it's out of context gives it a little bit more credence. So, I'm saying it probably wasn't a POW camp, but I think that the former is to be questioned. I think it's, I'm, I'm not going to say it's true, 
but they are aware of this theory. Yeah, I mean, they might be. I, I wouldn't, like... I, I agree. I don't think they are. I agree. I have nothing to dispute what you, what you guys are saying. Like, there is so much evidence that would lead us in that direction. And I just... I think what Nathan says rings true is that there's no right answer and that there's never going to be answered. But we can put the pieces together all we want and have fun doing it, so... Yeah, it's fun. I mean, we'll certainly keep an eye on it. And yeah, I mean, it's not it's not to answer the question one way or the other, but it is uh, it is an interesting talking point, and it's an interesting thing. Yeah, they're throwing it out there. We'll see, see what they catch. I think it is. I think it is funny to think we're all laughing, including Hank. We're laughing at Red Corn and and Dale, but we're not seeing this right under our eyes. And yeah, because there's multiple. In different episodes, just little moments where uh, it it's alluded to that Bill's the father. So, yes, I agree with you. It's fun. But now, the alternate ending, which I don't know if it's so much an alternate ending as much as it is a continued ending. Because the alternate ending could most definitely have taken place right immediately after this. We get a nighttime scene out on the back porch of Hank lighting up his propane barbecue and putting his vest, his boots, and his hat on it. And then Peggy comes out to join him with her tacky-ass cowgirl outfit. She puts it right on the flame next to her, next to him, and they start, you know, talking about that. And then we get Mrs. Holloway, who walks out into the outside where the clothes are burning and says basically how she is Holloway of Holloway Hollows. She is the head of the company. where And all her husband is, is the head of the Photoshop she owned before she married him. Yeah, he runs her side hustle. <laughs> yeah. So basically, he was not. Th- I mean, it, the alternate ending was deleted, so it's not to be canon. But I think that's where a lot of the issues came up in this episode was that Peggy was left to entertain Mrs. Holloway, and then even actually, even in the um, uh, deleted scenes, Hank says a line which I think is a good reason why it may have been cut. Was he says, he because she comes out and says, I heard you guys are like talking, and I think that, yeah, no matter what, Strickland has my has this has the contract. And Hank says, Well, that would be great if women ran the world. And she says, Well, I do run this. So basically, kind of puts Hank in his place and makes Peggy feel good and sort of uh, backs up that ignorant redneck kind of mentality. And I didn't look at this necessarily as an alternate ending. I just look at it as the way that the ending should have gone. Like, it was only, like, maybe a 10-second, 15-second scene. I think they easily could have cut out 20 seconds of content somewhere else in the episode and just nestled this or nestled this in nicely right after the Sunday school scene, maybe, or maybe even before it, right? Because I think that... I mean, without this alternate ending, it wasn't, in my mind, like, a really true King Little episode where there's not a conclusion and a resolution that kind of makes makes sense you know it was just kind of an open-ended hank failed and the people left whatever right i think yeah we didn't get any from buck strickland to actually talk about the ending either so 
No, I think this would just should have been the ending if they made it work. Yeah. Made it work one but way or the other. Also, though, if that were true, if that were the ending, then Hank was given a lot of misinformation from Buck on how to handle the uh, account. Well, there's a lot of misinformation, right? Like, why is Miss Holloway even with this fucking idiot if she's controlling all these companies? And what's Miss Holloway do? Nothing besides be annoying. Yeah, right? like he seem, he has no charisma. He has no personality. He's just an ass. Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. I think. I the think the questions that like need I think the questions that need to be answered if that's the ending are like maybe some better scenes with her throughout some more scenes with her throughout I think I liked like, her I like her too but we see very little of her yeah. I think again like I think making her ill that's again I think all these conversations we're having where it's like I like this I like this I don't like that I, this needs to be different for this and I think all of that plus. I was going to mention the deleted scenes. In one of the deleted scenes, Luann mentions how she wants to give Hank a manicure for shaking hands or something. I can't remember what her justification is, but it's clearly to do with her beauty school. I think they were trying to tie that in as well. Um, but they they cut that out. So I just think a lot of it was... yeah, It was like they have so much time to make this episode happen and... Given the tools, it when you're done this episode, I mean we're dissecting it. We are. So I mean, it, a lot of their issues become apparent. But the first time you watch this, you're like, okay, Hank values Sunday school, Bobby over this client, and that's all well and good. We don't need to see Buck Strickland because number one, we all know. Well, we know in hindsight, Buck Strickland's kind of an idiot, and he needs Hank to run this. So, like, what is he going to do? Fire Hank? What's Hank going to do? Get in trouble? Probably not. Hank's going to take this harder than Buck could ever give it to him. So, I mean, the failure isn't really so much the uh, point of the episode. The point of the episode is, as Nathan was saying, the, like, selling yourself out for what is, what is you know, like, what is meaningful to you. And clearly the Sunday school was meaningful more meaningful to hank than the money it was not meaningful enough for him to set things straight first though (laughs) (laughs) i mean he tried but how did not listen and bobby is kind of an idiot like i don't know how is he like 11 or 12 like 12 i mean i wouldn't have believed any of that when i was 12 like Oh, yeah, it's like, yeah, you go through your whole life without realizing your dad was kind of Mexican. But this episode was, like, now that I look back on it, it was truly a very different King of the Hill episode. Like, one of the deleted scenes, it's when they're all sitting around the Cadillac at the beginning of the episode where Hank first pulls up in the driveway. And Dale tells Con Supernusenpone that Hank is entertaining a Yankee client. And Con goes, oh, you're going to get some booger sugar, toot toot. They talk about cocaine, and it's like there's never any like illicit drug use ever mentioned in King of the Hill ever. And but like, the joke, it, but the joke in that is that Hank actually misinterprets what. Yeah, like he he's has saying. no idea. He says snuff. Yeah, Hank thinks which is tobacco. tobacco. Yeah, no, which is the it's the it's the stuff you sniff in the nose. Yeah, but still, for Con to say booger sugar like yeah. in King of the Hill, like, for me that was. He like, says, "Oh, have a little toot." But Hank, no, but the joke there is that Hank misunderstands. I know, but that for even to be a joke. Yeah, I guess. Didn't but we get Jumpin' Crack Bass in season two, which is before this episode aired. But Crack's funny. <laughs> sure, I <laughs> guess Crackheads so. are funny. So 
Well, thank you for that, uh, historian. That was a nice uh, wrap-up. And I just want to bring it around the whole table and just kind of close off everybody's final thoughts so we can bring this meeting to an end as we are over time, I believe. Uh, so would you like to start running bins? Sure, I will. I'll keep it quick and tidy. I like this episode. It doesn't stick out in season one. There was not enough Bill, Dale, Boomhauer, John Redcorn, Nancy, Joseph, Bobby. Or there was enough of Bobby, but I uh, the episode kind of perplexed me, and I still don't really know what I think about it. I think I'm going to have to watch it again. Uh, I'll say mine. Um, I'll kind of give you a shitty answer. Like I like this episode, but I, I don't love it, and I don't really know why. Like I like the theme of it. And, like, there's definitely some, like, really funny parts, but, like, it never stuck out to me. And, like, I still, it's not my favorite, but it's still a good episode. I think it's, I really like this episode, actually. I, I don't know in, like, a normal walk, watch through if I, if this one would have stuck out, but I think this is on the higher end. I think they definitely spent a lot of time. I mean, as just solely a Hank episode, it's good. It's got Burt Reynolds, that's good. I like it. I think this is a good one. Um, yeah, I have for as long as for as, as hard of work as I know this episode was to get finished for them. I feel like it. They they work. They got they got something out of it. They got a good. They got as good as they're gonna get out of it. If it was a forty minute episode, maybe it'd be better. <laughs> I personally would have liked to see more buck as this is his like first episode yeah for sure so but is but i mean but is this technically like realistically because well, who knows Probably that's not. how we introduced it so yep, that's right. and i am the virgin so that's how i f feel like this episode if it is his like um first you know introduction then i want to see more of him and, and kind of be more focused on buck uh and see more of his personality i also noticed a huge lack in music so I'm a little disappointed in that. I'm sure. I actually I'm sure. noticed a couple good music bits that were all underneath talking. Yeah, there was probably about four, um, but yeah, I would have liked to see more music. And uh, it was we need a, Jeff Skunk Baxter on this. Yeah, one. Where's Skunk? But I'm probably not gonna ever watch this episode again. Just saying. Anyways. I believe that harsh. is the last we have to say. Yeah, harsh. Sorry. Yeah, should we just get a Wimatanya? Uh, yeah, let's get a round table Wimatanya. Wimatanya. Thank you very much. Want to hear more? Order of the Straight Arrow. Join the conversation on Twitter at Utsakothpod or follow us on Instagram at Utsakothpod or look for us on Facebook at. Order of the Straight Arrow, a King of the Hill podcast. Catch new episodes every Sunday night. Please share this podcast with your friends and feel free to contact us by email at utsakothpod at gmail.com. Please, no hate mail. Hey, what's the crap for, boy? It's a good show. This is a damn good show. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and in no way reflect the views and opinions of Mike Judge, Greg Daniels, or Fox Studios. The external audio used in this podcast is not owned by the Order of the Straight Arrow or its affiliates and is presented in good faith to its copyright owners. Please don't sue us.